We've been in a series now. Today is the fifth week, and we are calling it It Really Works Prayer. And uh, prayer does really work. And sometimes, you know, if you have religious ideas, you think prayer is something you do, and maybe like if you hit God enough, he just kind of wears out and goes, all right, I'll answer that. You know, you would think that because we'd say, everybody pray. We need more people to pray. Like, you know, we're just going to hammer him so much that God's like, I wouldn't have answered that, but because you've asked so much, I'm tired of all you people saying, come on, Lord, come on, Lord, come on, Lord. You know, that's so wrong. You with me? There's a lot of wrong ideas about prayer, and they're in the church, too. Thank you for your excitement. And uh, we're going to talk about one of them today. And it may not seem like it has a place in prayer, but it greatly has a place in prayer. We're going to talk about worry. What about worry? Now, we're not going to teach how to worry. Most people have a handle on that. We're talking the other side, how not to worry. And some people may think, well, that's just impossible not to worry. No, it it actually is not impossible to not worry. And Jesus had much to say about it. So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And we're going to start this morning and look at worry, how to deal with worry. And uh, what happens if we do worry? What does worry look like? Can I control myself and not worry? And what would give me a right to stop worrying? These things are all important questions because some people will say this and say, it's impossible not to worry. But for a Christian, it's not impossible to not worry. And, And matter of fact, it's possible to not worry and it's possible to have divine peace manifest in your life in the middle of a problem. I'm talking God's presence, God's peace at work when you're in the middle of a storm, and it will help you to get out of it and to get into victory. You with me? And so Jesus brought this up here in Matthew 6 while he was on the earth and teaching one day, and he said this. We'll start in verse 25. He said, therefore, Matthew 6, 25, it says, therefore, I say to you, and he wasn't just talking to them, he was talking to all of us, do not worry. This is non-negotiable. He said, do not do this. You know, a lot of people are really bothered by people not keeping the Ten Commandments. You know? You shall not have idols. Oh, yeah, idols are bad. And notice the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions. They kind of go like this. Don't do that. Don't. Notice this kind of sounds like that. He said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Oh, my. He just nails it right home. Your existence don't worry about it. That's pretty hardcore, Lord. 
I mean, it really is. If you really honestly think about what he's asking and what he's saying, he said, do not worry about your existence. And then he goes on to explain some of your existence. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body. He's just not lightening up. Well, this is a holiday weekend. You're not either. Well, I'm just repeating him. And you understand this. I have to do everything it says too, just like you. He said, what you will put on, nor for life. He said, is not life or your existence more than just food and the body more than clothing? And he's just touching a couple areas of life and existence where there are real things that you're going to need and stuff that's going to happen in your life. He said, look, examine. In other words, look at your life and don't worry about it. And now he said, now examine these birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap. In other words, they don't go out and plant and uh, water stuff to get a harvest. He said, they don't sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? So immediately Jesus said, don't worry, and said, look, there is a God, a Father, who cares about you. In other words, here's the reason why you shouldn't worthy or worry is because God cares. Well, if somebody cares, that doesn't always mean they have the ability to do anything. But in this case, not only does he care, he has the ability to meet every need. And it goes on to say, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they or you could say, than birds? That's a good question. What kind of value do you think God places on you? I mean, I recently was outside and saw a bunch of dead birds in my front yard, and I was like, wow, they just starved to death, poor things. You know, that happens all the time. How many of you have ever seen that? Okay, me either. Because God takes care of them. You with me? And so he said, don't worry, God cares about you more than them. He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, can you change any element of your life in any way by worrying? And isn't it wild today? This goes right in the face of people, meaning this. The world would tell you, if you care, you worry. God would say, if you care, you don't worry. You trust. Because that puts God to work, so to speak, or you receive what God has paid for. It says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not doing anything to look the way they do. And he said, and yet I say to you that even Solomon, who was wealthier than anybody at the time, in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies of the field, their beauty and everything about him. He said, now, 
If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, in other words, they just get burned, he, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little trust or little faith? He said, listen, the problem about worry is a trust issue. People that worry don't trust. And people who worry, here's the thing, entertain the problem. They entertain issues they should not worry about. And by worrying, he said, you have no control over it anyway. And you think about worry is like this. It's kind of like a bull, you know, that gets released out into like a rodeo thing. They go out kicking and everything. If you connect a rope to that and connect a rope to you and that thing goes out there, you're going for a ride. I mean, it might make for good TV, but the person attached is going to get beat to snot because that thing's going crazy out there. And he's basically saying, that's what worries like. You are attaching yourself to something that is unproductive, that's going to hurt you, that's going to take you nowhere fruitful, and you're going to go for a ride. You with me? That's what he's saying. He said, it is destructive to connect yourself to worry because it brings no fruit and it'll rip you up. And it won't do anything. But people will still entertain and occupy themselves with negative thoughts. And the world will encourage you. Because if you worry, you care. No, I've found this to be true. People who don't worry and fret usually function way better than people who do worry and fret. You know, I've seen people, you know, at an accident scene... Uh, just freaking out, and I've been there and just said, hey, we need to do this. Hey, look at this. And you would think, you know, we were in like a bomb zone, and I recognize real stuff is happening, but you don't have to worry. It just blinds you to things and makes you just not focused. People who don't worry uh, are settled internally. You with me? And he said, don't worry. He said, you, if you worry, you have little faith. Or you're trusting more in the problem, which you don't even know if it's going to come to pass or not. How many times have people spent so much time worrying about something only to find out later it didn't even happen? And you were all tore up, or somebody was all, not maybe you, but somebody was all tore up on the inside, and then all of a sudden they're like, a weight is lifted. You recognize your worrying did nothing to help that situation. You with me? And so he says this in these, these verses here. He basically is teaching trust in the Father's care. Don't get overly attached in your thinking to things that you have no control over. But you know how many people, and I I don't mean to say this and be mean to anybody, but maybe a lot of people here have been trained from a child to worry about stuff. 
And that's not anything against your parents. They maybe didn't know better. But that doesn't change these. Jesus didn't say, oh, except unless you were raised to worry. But how many of us were raised to worry and we didn't know we were being raised to worry? We were just around it and everything. Oh, my goodness. Oh, germs and problems and oh, my. Or maybe we weren't around it, so to speak, but somehow we adopted it. You know, it's like the old saying, to hold unforgiveness against somebody is to drink poison yourself and expect it's going to hurt the other person. Well, it's kind of the same thing. To worry is to drink poison to yourself and think it's going to change something or maybe not. You just do it. It's just detrimental. And it will just drag you all over the place. So Jesus said, don't do it. So the very next verse says this concerning worry, and this counts in every area of life, worry. Not just the subjects he talked about, because we're going to look at other ones. Notice verse 31, therefore, do not worry saying. He said, you can get to the point where you're pondering on the wrong things so much, you will say it out of your mouth. Now, the interesting side about this is that the King James reads it like this. He said, don't worry or don't take a thought saying it. Now, you can't stop every thought from coming to you. We live in a world where negative thoughts are going to come. You have to realize this, that we shouldn't fear when we have a negative thought. It's not the end of the world. We maybe didn't even produce that thought. You with me? I mean, you just watch the news. And, you know, it doesn't matter. It's almost like the world is so trained negatively. You know, even with our current president, whether you like him or not, the stock market's doing good. The economy's doing good. But all you hear is, well, it's just a matter of time, and it's just going to crash. We've already, we're months past, you know, oh, well, it's going to explode. Because you can't do this and you can't do that and it's going to explode. And we've been hearing that drum beat for a while. And people, when they start hearing stuff like that, if you're not careful, you start believing it and go, well, I can't do this. I can't invest in this and I can't do this. Where is being led by God? Where is following his leading and all this stuff? Where is it that he blesses us coming in and going out? Where is it that he gives us wisdom? Uh, no, people start hearing that and they hold back. And then after a while, they're like, well, that didn't happen. And then they start to invest. Well, it's only a matter of time. And we're inundated with it. This is why you have to renew your mind. And when you start entertaining this kind of stuff, the danger of entertaining is this verse right here. He said, take no thought. Or here's how it reads here. He said, therefore, do not worry saying. Why would he say, don't worry and then start saying stuff out of your mouth? I can't do that. I, I, I won't be able to do this. Why is it dangerous to take thoughts to such a degree they start coming out of your mouth? Because he said, death and life, Proverbs 18.21 is in the power of your tongue. 
you will either give life or death to your worries or the things that come to you by what you say out of your mouth. I'm not going to make it. We're going under. You just spoke life into that lie. And really death to your situation. And people wonder why the road of life gets muddy and the trudging along gets harder and harder. It's because they start entertaining and then they just start saying out of their mouth, man, it's getting hard, but I'll make it. It's getting hard. Why don't you say the ground underneath me is getting hard? God is lifting me up. He's on my side. He's helping me. This is changing. But people don't do that. And then they walk around and they don't realize they're a lot like Charlie Brown's buddy, Pigpen. Anybody remember him? He, he just would walk around, there'd be a dirty cloud around him. You ever run into somebody like that? They don't go to this church. Um, <laughs> but that church over there? No, I'm kidding. But how many of us have been in a dirty cloud at some time in our life and just were putting up with it and just moving along? And we were living in that. And we were thinking wrong, and then we just kind of attached it to ourselves by doing what the Bible said and just started speaking it out of our mouth. And we brought life or death to those thoughts. And so when he says, therefore I say to you, or because God cares for you, he said, don't take these thoughts. Don't worry. Don't entertain these thoughts. You can't stop them, but you can stop entertaining them. And then you need to entertain God's care and his provision. And he said, don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? In other words, start speaking the problem. Isn't that everything he just said? Isn't it? And here he said, therefore, do not worry saying. It can be a lot of effort to hold your tongue. You know why? Because we get full of wrong thinking, and it's like shaking a soda bottle. Have you ever went, oh, I got to cap that? You know, I drink those little zip fizz things, you know, because they have energy, probably a lot of caffeine. But anyway, you put those in, and if you pour it in and you don't do it right, it starts bubbling everywhere, and it's like sugary, but it's not sugar. It's some other natural sweetener. But it's sticky nonetheless, and it'll get all over your lap and everything, so you got to put your hand on it, and there's a lot more effort to be put on that thing when it's doing its thing while you're running to the sink because there's pressure. And when you are doing your thing, there's a lot more pressure where it's wanting to come out of your mouth. You with me? And then you're like, oh, I can't say that, but I really want to. You control a lot of this. Jesus said, death and life are in the power of your tongue. Somebody said, what's this got to do with prayer? Well, just hang on. And so if it's in my tongue, then I need to do what the Bible said is keep my mind stayed on the Lord and it will produce peace. I'm going to speak that way. But if I don't, and we're all going to have opportunities, sometimes it's going to seem real easy to keep your mind on the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus is working in my life. How about your life? Glory to God. You ever run into those people? 
a week later, they're hitting a, hit the wall. Something came at them. Oh, no, listen, you need to still control your mind, not entertain the problem. And as some people say, get a grip on your lip and watch what you say. Because really, death and life are in your tongue. You're just starting to plant seeds in your life that are going to come home to give you a harvest later. Because words are seeds. They're the building blocks of your life. One man said it this way, they're the coins of the kingdom. Watch how you spend them. And we need to be careful. Because some people think of you to say one word. No, but an accumulation of words will affect you. The Bible said it this way, the tongue's like the rudder on a ship. Though it's real small, it said it can turn your whole life around. Just like the bit in a horse's mouth can control a great horse, you have to watch your tongue. He said, so is the tongue like that too. So do this with me. Turn with me to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Now, we're not to worry. Jesus said, don't worry. Well, if I'm not to worry, what am I to do? And what is worrying? Worrying is entertaining the problem, the circumstance, not the provision or the promise of provision that God has made for our lives. Somebody said, well, it's not the easiest thing not to worry. But you can get to the place where it becomes easier. And you should know this. Doing it God's way will also cause his divine peace to start to go to work for you and affect your heart, meaning, you know, that part where you believe and your mind. Philippians, the fourth chapter, says this concerning uh, not worrying or, you know, actually it doesn't use the word um, worry here. It uses, depending on the translation, it talks about anxiousness and so Philippians 4 says this, verse 6. He said, be anxious, worrisome. One translation says careful or having cares, worries. He said, be anxious for nothing. So we talked about the body, clothes, and all this. Now he's giving a command that in no area should a believer worry. Not one area then that would tell me this. If I am not to worry in any area, then that means the Father's care covers every area. Every area. Somebody said, well, you mean every area? Every area. Or you have a right to worry because you're going to have to take care of it yourself. But he said, in nothing should we worry. Notice, be anxious, fretful, worrisome for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Now, when he's talking about prayer here, he's not just going, oh, God, we're all going to die. That's not prayer. You're not asking him. You're just telling him, I got this problem. We're dead meat. We're all going under. That's not praying. As a matter of fact, it almost sounds like complaining. Okay, we won't say that. But he said, by prayer and supplication, which means a humble request. But notice he said supplication or a humble request with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
In other words, he basically said this. When you're faced with worry, go to God. Ask him for the things. Ask him to get involved. Say, I refuse to worry. I give that to you. I believe you are now working on my behalf. When you finish praying, then you start thanking him. Really what you've done, instead of you carrying the load, you worrying about the situation, you've put it on God and are expecting him to fix it now for you and that he's going to work presently changing the situation. That's the only way you can't worry. But he said this, once you do this type of prayer, you need to verbally give thanks. Thank you, God. We're all going to die. No. This is it. (laughs) It was fun while it lasted. Lord, I'll see you in 30 minutes. That's not thanksgiving. That's whining more. And you know why we whine? Because we're entertaining it. We didn't get rid of our worry. We didn't get that thing over into God's hands. We're still thinking the same way. We're not thinking like he did anything or is doing anything or working on our behalf. So when I put it over on him, I say, here you go, God. I believe you're able. I receive the answer now. Now I thank you. It's finished. It's fixed. And it's a trust issue then because you may not see it for 30 minutes or an hour or a day. Thank you, Lord. And he said, if you will get your cares over on him where you're trusting him, he said he will do something that will affect your heart that's troubled and full of worry and your mind that's full of worry. Once you get it over, you've dumped it out. He said, I'll fill it. And what does he mean? Fill it. Notice this. He said, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. His peace will go to work in you, and you will get settled in your heart, and you will get settled in your mind, and you might still be, by appearance sake, in the middle of the situation, but you are trusting, you know you've got the answer, you know he heard you, Now I'm not going to entertain the problem because I'm trusting God. Somebody said, well, that just sounds a little iffy to me. You know, you're just not going to entertain it. Well, we already know entertaining is going to do jack for you. No offense to Jack. But he ain't doing nothing. Jack ain't doing nothing for you. He ain't going to be fixing your problem. But all you're going to do is be full of worry and trouble. This is acting in faith and trusting God. So now I'm going to thank him. One person said this, worry can be like that fly paper that hangs in your garage. Anybody know what those are? And you're, you know, I don't know if they're around. It looks like a, like a little tube and you pull the thing and a paper comes out. It's got all this gooey stuff on it. Have you ever touched one of those? I have. One of the neighbors had one. I thought, that's interesting. You ever touch it? And then you can't just touch it again to get it off because then it sticks to that hand. You ever had something like that? You pull it off this hand and, it's, and you're like, whoo, I'm free. And you're like, oh, it's still here. And then you barely do it with this one, but it still sticks. And you touch it with your foot and it's there now. Worry can be like that. Sometimes you have to go back again and go, no, I put that back over on you in Jesus' name. I refuse to entertain this. And I thank you, it's in your hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you sit there and you thank him. Well, for how long? Well, 
listen, you've been worrying. We're talking about the, well, you know, I just been busy. Stop it. We want to get rid of this, don't we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's in your hands, and his peace will go to work and guard your hearts and minds. Then he said this, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, lovely, noble, whatever things are just or right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, some things aren't lovely. And these are all talking about thoughts, how to judge what you should be thinking on. And notice he goes on to say, whatever things are of a good report, if there's a good report, is what you're thinking on a good report? Are you thinking on a good report? Are you thinking on a good report? I got no good report. Well, you're going to have to find one in the book then, because there's good reports in the book. And he said, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, some things are not praiseworthy. He said, meditate or deeply ponder these things. And he said, the things which you learned, you received, you heard, and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you or will manifest himself in your life. We're going to finish with this set of scriptures here in James 1. And really, we're going to see how this connects to our prayer life. We need to not worry. We need to cast our cares on the Lord. We need to keep our minds stayed on the Lord. Sometimes we're just too cluttered with stuff and our minds are on so many things. We need to be disciplined. If we find ourselves worrying, we know, and are fretting problems and fearing problems, we know right now that we are thinking totally on the wrong thing. And I can't just say, well, God fixed this right now. And then go to thinking on the problem, my heart's still going to be troubled. You with me? But trust can change it. And he gives the example. James 1 says this, and we're going to read three verses here that I think you're going to find real interesting. They have to do with prayer. The word doubt is in there, but in all reality, worry is just doubt. Isn't it? It tells you it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It's going to get worse. This problem's going to happen. You're never going to get ahead in life. And so doubt and worry are twins. You with me? James 1, and like I said before, don't freak out just because you had thoughts. It's not the thoughts you get. It's what you do with them. Notice this James, the first chapter, and we'll begin in the sixth verse. He was talking about praying, and he was teaching people to pray for certain things. But he said, but when you pray, verse 6, but let him ask in faith or trust, no doubting. What is doubting? Worrying, entertaining the problem, thinking it's not working, it's not going to happen. Nothing doubting. Now, you can't stop doubt thoughts. But you can choose not to entertain them. Notice, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the winds. What does that mean? It means this, when people entertain worry and doubt, they're moved all over the place. Why? The thought comes and... You know, here we are, God's going to do it, God's got this, I've prayed, 
And then when that worry comes, if I start entertaining, it's going to drive me. It's going to move me when I entertain it. Yeah, it's going to turn out horrible. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. And that's what I'm entertaining. He said, when you do that, he said, you're going to be driven all over the place in your life. It's going to be like the wave of a seed. You're going to be driven. You're going to be tossed. But notice what he said. He said, you'll be tossed by the winds. You don't have to. The reason they got tossed was they just kept entertaining and pondering the wrong. Notice this. They worried. They feared. Notice verse 7. For let not that man, woman too, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now he's talking, if we pray and we just worry, he said, you'll get no answer to your prayer. Uh-oh. Somebody say, great. Well, listen, we need to understand this. He just gave us the answer to get prayers answered. You have to first deal with worry. You have to first deal with fear. Sometimes we've just thought, well, I prayed and it didn't happen and, and I don't know why. But what if he gave us a solution and said, you're going to have to deal with worry. And here's how you deal with worry. And when you get done dealing with worry, uh, you can expect your prayers to get answered. Okay, let's just read on. He said this, let not that man suppose that he will receive, notice that word, anything. Anything, which would mean in any area, from the Lord. Is it because the Lord doesn't love you and doesn't want to answer your prayer? No, because prayer is a trust issue. And when I'm worrying, I'm not trusting. My mind is somewhere else. By choice. Not because a negative thought came, but because... I'm choosing to look at a problem, believing in its power, focusing in its power. Notice this. He said, this person who doubts, he is a double-minded man or woman and is unstable in all their ways. It causes people to be not stable. You ever met somebody who's worrying in fear? There's a lack of stability there. You know how we can all know this? Because we've all probably been there at one time. You with me? This isn't to throw stones at somebody who's worrying and fearing right now. This is just saying, hey, we've all identified, we've all been approached by fear and worry. Have you not? And so he's basically saying, you have to trust in God and watch what you're pondering. Here's the cool thing about this. What if we read this in closing the other way around? You say, what do you mean? If he said, let a man ask in faith with no doubting, because when you don't doubt, you're not driven by circumstances. I'm reading it different. So let that man who won't be driven by circumstances, let that man expect to receive everything and anything he asks of the Lord. Because he's a single-minded man, which makes him stable in all his ways. 
that's the other side of it. It doesn't mean you don't have negative thoughts that come, because if you think, well, I'm just never going to have any more negative thoughts, you're mistaken. But what you do with them makes you single-minded, makes you stable, and then makes you a candidate for every prayer or anything you pray to be answered. Think of how Jesus approached prayer, and you'll recognize he was single-minded, and recognize how the disciples entertained prayer sometimes. Like when they went to pray for one guy one time, and they just said, how come we couldn't get results there? How come? But then you look at Jesus when he prayed, and we know that the disciples made adjustments because Jesus told them, uh, your unbelief or you were doubting, you were entertaining the wrong thing when you prayed and in your life. But it's interesting, when Jesus went to pray for people, he lived these principles. Somebody said he was God, but he didn't function as God. He functioned just like us, the Bible said in Peter, so we could know how to do this. And so what's interesting, Jesus would say things like this, let us go there and do this, and let's pray, or I'll go and pray, and they will be healed. He's single-minded. And you find later on that the disciples, after being with Jesus, didn't get cured right away and didn't get this in action, but eventually you start looking at their lives later on, and they were single-minded. And they're like, yeah, let's go pray. Let's go raise this person. Let's go do this. Because they had trained themselves, and they were now trusting in God. And like Peter, when he said, silver and gold, he said, I don't have. But what I've got right now, I'm going to give to you, and you're going to get healed. That's totally being single-minded. He's not double-minded anymore, thinking, well, let's just give this a shot and see how it works. He just said, no, I've got the goods. Where'd he get them? Same place you and I got them. The issue is not, do we have the goods once we're saved? Do we believe we have the goods? 